0: Welcome to Season 6 of the Not Your Mama's Autism Podcast, a podcast about neurodivergence told both through the eyes of our family, the Ollies, and through the lens of the greater global neurodivergent community. I'm Lola Dada Oli. We hope you enjoy this episode we have lined up for you. So, with that in mind, Let's get started. Lanasha House, welcome. Welcome to the Not Your Mama's Autism podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: For those who are listening to this podcast who may not know, Lanasha and I go back many years, different hairstyles, different lives. (laughs) We both are proud graduates of the Howard University School of Law, which is where we met. We were in the same section. Mm-hmm. Section Section 1 for life for those in the know. <laughs> and I just want to thank you so much for being with us today because we are talking about some heavy topics, but really needed topics for people to mm-hmm. better understand a different way of life. What I like to call an often overlooked Way of simply being human and your story, just based on what I know, and I know we're going to get in deeper. I know you're you definitely fit the bill.
1: Oh, thank you. And it's so cool to be here today, especially considering I would have never thought when we were sitting in torts that we would be here (laughs) having this conversation. (laughs) But it's great,
0: that's the beauty of life. You definitely have no clue what is going to happen. So You are still a practicing attorney and an overall renaissance woman. You are a multi-hyphenate. So tell our viewers what you do for a living, what you do that brings you joy.
1: Well, I have been practicing law since I graduated from Howard in 2006. My primary practice right now is probate trust and estate work. And I tell people that my practice focuses on abused and neglected adults and children. I mainly work on guardianship matters, so individuals who have an intellectual or developmental disability, or maybe Adult Protective Services has become involved because of self-neglect, possibly dementia or some other diagnoses. In addition, for fun, what I tend to do is Find things that are the complete opposite of what I do in my nine to five. Uh, I competitively dance West Coast swing. I just finished my 200 hour yoga teacher training with Core Power. I also go in step, I go swing out. And so I try to find things that embrace my creative side and allow me to release since my job that pays me is a little more intense.
0: Just a little bit, just a little bit. (laughs) So thank you for sharing this a little bit of the, I mean, you are so multifaceted and recently you, we were texting and you told me that you are a proud member of the neurodivergent community. So do you mind sharing with us?
1: Shockingly to me, but totally okay with it. I took After about a couple of years in therapy, my therapist, who is also a doctor, referred me to um, a psychiatrist. And then I did this kind of brain scan thing where they put this cap on your head and analyze your brain waves. Don't really know the formal name of that. He also did a few sit-down interviews with me and reviewed my chart and the information from my therapist. And he diagnosed me with ADHD. ADHD as well as psychosocial anxiety, psychosocial stress. And I was told that I have autistic behaviors, but I do not have a diagnosis of autism disorder.
0: Was your journey to these diagnoses long? Was it, how did this all come about? How did you know where you fell on the overall neurodivergence spectrum?
1: I honestly never spectrum. Right. I never thought about it, actually. And I think it's because of the fact that in women, Black women in general, right, we don't present the way that is stereotypical of what somebody would present with if they have ADHD. And another thing, so basically all of the hyperactivity is, is not physically, for me, it's not physically exhibited. It's It's inside my head. Whereas that's not what they're typically looking for in school, right? I always had good grades. (laughs) I am naturally an introvert. So you are not going to find me talking to a bunch of people. I actually don't prefer crowds. They make me anxious. I'm great one-on-one, but I'm not going to act up in class because I don't want to be seen. I don't want to draw attention to myself concerning how did I recognize this or did I think anything about it? The answer is no, (laughs) not at all. The first time that it even came up as a possibility where someone made me think maybe this is a possibility is when I was working for Dallas County. I was the supervisor for about seven or eight LMSWs and they're very familiar with the DSM. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they would tell me, you know, you know, you fit some of these criteria in this DSM. You should probably go get tested. And I was like, y'all, whatever. And I worked with Dallas County for about three years. And I shared the information with my therapist. And eventually she was like, ma'am, you should probably go get tested because it basically came to the point where it was, I I explained it to her, like, um, you have a stack of cards and you're building a card house. And it it just came to the point that everything was crashing around me and everything was crashing down. Mm. And I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know how to come to a point where I could function. And she was like, you should be able to work through this. So I'm sending you to a psychiatrist, which is great. And then went, got the diagnosis. And instead of me feeling as some people, they have a crisis. For me, it was a relief. Because now, finally, over the age of 40, I don't have to try to fit into these boxes or molds. I now have a reason as to why certain things are more difficult for me. I now have a reason to explain to people, this is how I communicate. This is what I mean. And it just helps me to better express to others how to interact with me, as opposed to me trying to change my behavior to help people understand me better.
0: And that wasn't so said, working. So you said your hyperactivity doesn't present physically, but it's in your mind. Can you dive a little bit deeper as to what that <clears throat> feels like?
1: It's kind of like, I think I saw something on TikTok where someone explained uh, how they saw their child. One child had ADHD and one child did not. And so the dad gave one child hey, go wash the clothes, go wash your clothes. And the child just went and grabbed the one without the diagnosis, went and just grabbed the clothes and went and put them in the washing machine and got started. The other child was like, okay, well, in order to grab the clothes, I've got to go to my car and make sure I get these things out of the car so I have all of my dirty clothes. Then I have to sort them, but wait, I can't do that until I clean my room to make sure I have all of those things. So for me, someone can give me a task. And I will do 20 other things to prep for creating and finishing this task. And then we'll probably forget the task that I was supposed to do in the first place (laughs) Um, until maybe later on. And then I remember, wait, I was supposed to do this task for me personally, because of my age and because. I you know I've been told I'm smart, I'm a little smart. I've found mechanisms to kind of make up for those gaps. And so I know where my deficiencies are. And so I found ways to kind of accommodate for that and I didn't realize that everybody else wasn't doing it too. Right? Mm. I thought everybody else struggled with getting to places on time even when you start getting ready 3 hours before. I thought you know all of the things that I dealt with, and this is just the chaos in my head of creating a plan, keeping dates, creating a calendar, budgeting, anything that deals with habits or routines, I thought that was just normal to struggle the way that I did, but that's not the case. That was a part of my diagnosis.
0: So You also mentioned about everything felt like it was crashing down around you. Could you, could you could you, expound upon that too?
1: I'm self-employed. I have my own law office and running a business is hard in and of itself, but running a business where you have to manage your own life and then the way that my business is, I have to deal with the crises of others. And so in the process of dealing with the crises of others, I wasn't managing myself well. Myself was getting lost in me managing other people. And it just felt like everything was just like this big looming crowd and cloud, I guess, and heaviness was affecting me to the point where sometimes I couldn't get out of bed or to the point sometimes where I couldn't do my work or it would just be anxiety to the point where sometimes I would be paralyzed and not necessarily know What to do next or how to function, or not eat, not shower, not get Mm. dressed, not leave the house. Mm. So it got into a point where then it started to affect my relationships and it started to affect my work products. But I couldn't fix it. I couldn't get out of it. I couldn't be like, pull Mm. yourself together Mm. and function. And the things that were happening were not any more that of than what had been happening before. I've dealt with a lot of stress and a lot of things in my life. It wasn't more. It, I don't know if it was something dealing with COVID and the quarantine and everything else, maybe just a situation of so many other people not really regulating themselves, causing interacting with me, causing it to be heightened. I don't know if that's what the case was or not, but it was just very much amplified. And my doctor was like, okay. These mechanisms that I'm giving you without medication are not working. We're sending you to a psychiatrist.
0: Did you have fear going to the psychiatrist? or did You know,
1: no. And, and maybe it's because my mother has epilepsy. My uncle is uh, schizophrenic. I have been surrounded by people who have had to take medication their whole lives. I don't have a fear of the doctor. I believe that God heals people, but I also believe that God heals people through medication. I mean, I am a Christian and I do, you know, I do have that foundation. My dad is a pastor, grew up in the Baptist church, but I believe that God has created people to create the medicine to assist us. Do I believe that I will need to be on medicine long-term for the rest of my life? No. Do believe that now that I understand what it is, I can create the different tools that I need to be able to function moving forward. This is just basically a stopgap right now to help me to catch up, to help me to get things in order. And if something happens and I need to be on meds long-term, then so be it. I don't have a problem with the medication. And I also think that's a stigma in within the Black community of mental illness, of taking medication or any kind of diagnoses related to things that you cannot see, right? It's something about taking meds for things that you cannot see that people feel like, well, God should heal you from it. Take your minutes, people. I think it's okay. So no, it didn't scare me at all.
0: And thank you for saying that because it's it's so true. I still think I agree with you. I think that it's still a stigma in the black community, and it it really doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. So now that you know this about yourself, now that you know yourself more, do you think back? do you look back to times where you feel like you've been misunderstood? And if so, can you share that with us?
1: To answer your question, yes. It explains so much of how I've always moved and functioned from the time that I was little. Like I can think back to elementary school. I've always, even my, my mom says I have nausea like different phrases and things that only I say. I have always been quirky. I have always been unique. And unlike some other people that have my diagnosis, I embraced, I embraced the fact that I was unique and I I, always knew, I just always knew I was a little bit different, but my parents and my family told me that was okay. Never really saw a problem with it. I just thought I just kind of move and function differently. And so examples would be, I've always been very, I've been told, and now I realize I've been very black and white about how I see things in general. Even to the point in high school, I remember someone told me something and it was about one of my friends. And I went and I told my friends, no qualms about it, went and told my friend. And then they both got mad at me. And I was like, why are you mad at me? You knew she was my friend. Why would you expect me not to say anything? Because you're telling me something about somebody else that's harming her. So why can't, why would one, why would you tell me and not expect me to tell? Two, why were you upset with me for telling and my mom told me, she was like, should you weren't supposed to say anything. And I was like, well, they should have known better. What's the problem? And even things of, I remember being at a job and just saying something to someone and being told that I was being passive aggressive. And I was like, I don't understand what that means. I kind of say what I mean and mean what I say. There's no undertone to anything that I'm saying, not realizing that, that's typically not what people do that tip that people will say something, and there's an undertone or something behind it. But I don't speak that way. Everything I say is very literal, very black and white, nothing to infer at all whatsoever. And then also just with my jobs, like having to be at work on time, having to follow rules, having to have a thing that I do every day for my boss. I just never seem to really do it well. Can't can't just, and which is why I'm self-employed right now because I understand I don't function well in a nine to five where I'm required to do certain things at a certain time every day. And I'm horrible with procrastinating because I have time blindness. Didn't really understand that until mm. now. You'll laugh at this because I remember- And I just thought I was just horrible and couldn't put it together. I remember in law school for legal writing first year, I did nothing the whole year, right? Nothing. I wrote my legal writing paper for my final grade the night before it was due Hmm. with my partner, and I stayed up all night and got it done. Looking back, and that's how my whole life has been, right? Not planning things, not getting things done. But being smart enough to figure it out in a time period that I shouldn't be able to get it done, I got a ninety-six on that paper too. By the way, that
0: I wrote. <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did.
1: <laughs> and
0: you're not... that student. You're that student that other people are like, why can't I just be like them? Why can't why can't I just wait till the last minute and get an A?
1: But that's not how it should. It's supposed to be right. And and so I just. I even, my mentor from TCU, when I was working in New York and I'm working on the, I'm on the 40th floor looking out on Wall Street. And he was like, where are you, Miss House? And I said, oh, I'm at my new law firm job. And he was like, oh, you seem to have landed on your feet once again. Like, <laughs> no plans, no nothing, just fly by the seat of my pants with everything. So now it all makes sense, but Um, So looking back on it, yes, those are examples of that's not typical. That's not how people usually operate. And people do not usually speak so literally or not as in black and white. And if you want to go to the autistic behaviors, like my mother has always made comments about how I'm weird about textures, weird about sounds. I'm weird about lights sometimes, which... Nobody else in my family is growing up. I didn't want to be with the other kids. I stayed inside and played with my puzzles. Like those were all signs, but but wouldn't have known.
0: How have your closest friends and family reacted to your diagnosis?
1: My closest friends were like, yeah, we always knew you were a little different. It didn't change anything. <laughs> And that's why they're my friends, because they love me no matter what my quirks are. They accept me for who I am. And because I have always moved and functioned as me, even when bullied or teased or whatever, I found my circle of friends that now accept me for me, right? So I didn't have that with some people say a crisis. And then you wonder, do your friends know you or are they truly your friends? my friends know me they know my quirks and they accept me for who I am my family is ride or die for me no matter what my family loves me unconditionally my mom was a bit concerned she didn't want me to be judged based on it she was concerned about me saying anything saying that people might treat me differently if they know and my response to her was they treat me differently already anyway so Hmm. it doesn't matter if I say or not, I get treated differently already. So that was my response to my mom, and she said, oh, "Okay." <laughs> that was pretty much it.
0: So you you kind of alluded to this earlier, but um, studies have shown that women and girls who are neurodivergent tend to be misdiagnosed or mm-hmm. not diagnosed at all because it presents differently. And like you mentioned earlier, for Black women, that's easily its own subcategory, right? So Mm -hmm. why do you think this is? Well,
1: for me personally, I think the only reason I have a diagnosis now is because I have the privilege to be able to have a diagnosis. My having my degree, my being um, able to pay for a therapist and pay for a psychiatrist and be surrounded by other professionals who are able to lead me in that direction, I think is the only reason that I'm here. But growing up, I was born in Marshall, Texas. I grew up in East Texas. Nobody at my at our at my age group, right? Nobody was testing back then for ADHD. It was typically people who weren't performing well in school or presented with behavioral disturbances. But I was in the gifted and talented classes, right? So even if I'm extra quiet, or I'm having issues, they just think, oh, she's just being a weird, quirky nerd. She's fine. She's graduating in the top 10% of her class. She's quiet. She doesn't disturb anybody. Why Why even bother? And I probably could have continued to function in that way, but I want to be able to function at my best and understand myself and so the diagnosis is not necessarily for everyone else. The diagnosis is for me to help me to be able to move in a way that I can have peace, that I can fulfill my purpose and be better able to communicate with others. It's not necessarily for anything other than that. But I think it's just maybe socioeconomic status is a reason why for some people, maybe gen- you know generational differences in Black culture. You go, you pray, you go to church, and things work out. And three, we don't present as Black women the same way that other races or genders may present. Um, It's more internal. It's not external. And if we are behaving as our parents told us to, to sit quietly, be respectful to your elders, do your work as you should. Get the extra help and assistance that you need to get, no one is going to think anything is wrong because it's all internal.
0: Thank you. What yeah. you said. Man, that this diagnosis is not for you all, it's for me. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So if I I I wish more people would view it like that. Because it is a blueprint into you.
1: Me. And yeah. and I don't think there's anything. Wrong with it, right? Like it just, and you know, and I was talking to somebody about this kind of on a tangent, but not really. We always talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? And belonging, DEIB. And people tend to focus on, especially now, right now, race. And they focus a lot about we need to have more people of color in these positions. We need to have more women in these positions, LGBTQIA in these positions. There really isn't a talk about what diversity means if someone has a diverse thought, functions differently, thinks differently, speaks differently. Is the environment actually accepting of someone who may look like you, but processes and thinks differently than you do? That's, that's diversity as well. And so what I would like and wh- and why I say these things sometimes and why I don't mind sharing is because I want people to understand that it's not just about us accepting people that don't look like us with race or physical disabilities, right? But we also have to get to the point where we accept people who think differently than us, speak differently than us, process differently than us. Are people really accepting or are you judging and thinking, why didn't they have the answer that I had? Why aren't they speaking to me the way that I would
0: speak to me? Or Um, or get the answer as fast as I did. Or why do they take more time to deliberate on something than I do? Correct.
1: Accept the differences.
0: Across the board. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank you for this conversation. I want to ask you, what advice? Would you give someone who thinks they may be neurodivergent?
1: I would say one, understand that being neurodivergent is not a negative thing. Before going and speaking to a therapist or doctor, take that internally within themselves first and understand that the path moving forward is just a way for them to understand better how to continue to move in life, right? How to make things. function better mentally, put the puzzle pieces together as they complete the path that they want to complete. Definitely would was say, um, get a therapist and talk to someone about it. Someone who actually is a licensed therapist, speak to them about it. I did find a few groups online through Facebook, social groups of people who have been diagnosed and I think it's a wonderful thing to go and find groups where people are diagnosed where you can have those conversations start there and just see what the therapist says find some peer groups or some mentors and move in that direction first and then also do a little bit of research on what it is. That's what I would recommend first. I wouldn't say necessarily go and do an online test and go see a psychiatrist right off the bat, right? I would say do some research, get to know who you are, get to accept who your true self is, walk in your truth, speak to a therapist about what your truth is, and find other like-minded people in your environment in some way, whether through social interactions or in person, social media or in person.
0: As always, thank you for listening. If you like our content, please share and subscribe. If you're curious about how this podcast first came to be, check out season 1 of this podcast in its entirety on any major podcast platform. If you would like to follow us on social media, please check us out at Not Your As always, Thank you for your support. Take care and be well.
1: Not Your Mama's Autism podcast is written and produced by my mom, Lila Dada Ali, and is occasionally produced by me, Fela Ali. My dad and sister also contribute sometimes. Big thanks
0: to Anna Lee Ackerman for her audio and video editing support. Until next time, everyone, see you soon.